stop working, I'm a job like memories of my job block serving like a job, find purpose in my soul, lines working in a road clock, spinning through the haze, I'm a semen walking souls, treat my demons like some hoes, motherfucker, fuck them, duck them, get your brand and keep it low, good brother, watch your head, dummy, clock them like you spar with Mr. Floyd, I got a knuckle for anybody that wanted with the boy, my papa was preaching to me why he fucking with the boy, I don't talk proper, my jaw locking like he worked the boards and I'm dead sober, my dead soldiers want to see you destroyed, I pull up on you in a black Honda, all I want to call like bang bang, I shot you down bang bang, you hit the ground bang bang, you hit the ground bang bang, bang bang, I said bang bang, like I shot you down bang bang. All right, Quentin, we're back, and this week we are Bleed the F Out. How are you doing this week? I'm good. Uh, I'm all right. Not super busy this week. I've been doing a lot of end-of-the-year prep right now. I've watched a bunch of Goshi Ozaki matches from last year that I didn't get a chance to watch uh, as they were happening in 2020. And just been doing a lot of catch up, heading into doing our year end stuff. But I'm I'm all right. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, same thing. Kind of dreading the, the 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 end of year stuff. It's hitting a a crunch time, unfortunately, with work and into years. It's not uh, lining up super well, but it is what it is. We're gonna make it happen. Obviously, um, that's why this week we're not. Uh, we don't have a huge huge topic a huge dense topic because we're both kind of yeah, yeah. I, I think that like i think that most of our i think that most most of our shows before we get to the year and stuff will probably be like relatively shorter yeah light and light because like you know stuff that's easy you don't have to watch a bunch of stuff because i think we're both watching back backlog or re-watching things to prepare for end of year so adding and watching new stuff is not uh, where it's at but one thing that we 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 can't uh you know Overlook, did you happen to see uh, the most dangerous female wrestler in all of uh, professional wrestling? And I'm not talking about Nia Jax, uh, Sadika, trying to kill Effie to death at uh, GCW over the last weekend? No, I didn't. I didn't see that. <laughs> but before we came on, uh, our friends in the Slack chat TM informed me of a really bad Effie tweet oh. before uh minute minutes before Perfect. I uh got on got on the call with you. <laughs> do you uh do you have this Effie tweet? Do you wanna you wanna <laughs> reference I do, I do, I do actually. Um so someone asked Effie I'm not sure if it's the same Wasim Purvis of oh, Wasim yes, cast fame. I'm not sure if it's the same one. The pre, the, the forebearer to the We Don't Know Wrestling and We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network Empire, the Wasim cast, yes. Uh, I'm not sure, but he asked Effie, what is your long-term goal in wrestling? I love your work. You have a laugh, yet work so hard. I'm wishing you so much success. You will make it big. A follow would be great and rewarding and awesome and appreciated. I will always support you. All right. Nice, cool message. Effie says, 
Being so successful, I changed the structure of wrestling careers and forced the invisible hand of capitalism to follow my moral vision of the business because they have to follow whether or, whether or not they wanted that direction for their corporate wrestling brand. All right. Um, There's a lot going on there. Is that his goal? Is that what he's saying is his goal? That's what, that's what he said. He said, that he said, yeah, the question was, what is your long-term goal in wrestling? And that is what Effie said. That he wants to... He wants to make, make like, a, a company have to, like, change their... He wants to force moral. capitalism to... He wants to force capitalism to bend around what he wants and his morals. Okay. His... Okay. So... So he's basically wanting, like, Effie... Like, positive Effie-based capitalism, right? He's, he's looking for... Yeah, I guess, like, Effie positive gay inclusive capitalism okay hey you know (laughs) what you know i think that yeah as a as a a, you know seemingly cis white male gay male capitalism has just been super rough on him you know and it would be it would be nice if it was a lot easier on him i'm not you know saying he doesn't have didn't have his issues and some things were tough but that is fucking ridiculous i i love it i love it um yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, let's uh, just a check in with our pal Effie there. Yeah. But uh, you were mentioning Effie versus uh, Sadika. Maybe... I, I saw the uh, I saw the hubbub about the about the match on Twitter, but I didn't actually see it. Maybe all that blood loss is is, is affecting his thoughts right now still, um, and that's why he's not making any fucking sense. That did make me think of I heard someone mention today that like uh, in in uh, North Korea, no, no, in South Korea, I guess there's like a. Their, their read on the Squid Games, or, like, that the director's concept of the Squid Games was, like, that the problem with the Squid Games wasn't the games, but that they cheated. And all the, like... Oh, my God. And all of, like, the Westerners who kind of look at it as being, like, this indictment of capitalism writ large, that's not the point. Or that was not, like, the meaning or what they were thinking. The point was, like, the, you know, like, the doctor getting the thing... The, the, the stuff ahead and people like cheating was the problem. So, so, so you know, the, the issue direct, with... the director, the creator, whatever the fuck he is, literally said, yeah, <laughs> that's what he was talking. About. I know all of this shit is so fucking funny. Yeah, but yeah, so the idea that you know the issue with capitalism is that you're, you're cheating at it and effie, effie, come on, you're fucking cheating capitalism. Yeah, you're cheating at capitalism. <laughs> but if there was fair, if there was a truly free market, that's you know that's the great thing about the libertarian stance, right? They can always stand on this idea of the, if there was ever. Uh, a truly free market, then everything would be perfect and capitalism would be great. The only issues there ever are is because the market isn't fully free. And then meanwhile, they argue, when has socialism ever worked? You know, it's just like, okay, well, when has uh, the free market ever worked? Either way, um, the free market has spoken and Sadika is the most dangerous wrestler in professional wrestling. No, no, it's a fucking joke, man. <laughs> like, seriously, she, she it's a sp- swinging neckbreaker off the apron. So Effie basically takes his own bump and uh, his shoulder gets cut up by light tubes because yeah, that's saw, what yeah, light I saw tubes that. do. I saw, um, I, saw, yeah. I saw the gif of that. He does a pretty good job afterwards, honestly. Kind of like, it reminds me of the Sabu thing. Do you... Like uh, Sabu, he would do it all the time, but one that always stands out is the Born to be Wired, the barbed wire match with uh, Terry Funk, where as he's continuing to deal with this fucking madman, Terry Funk, who he's like trying to like glue and tape his bicep back together because it's ripped in half. Um, 
like while staying in the match like effie kind of does that vibe i'm like kind of like good and like oh this is good and it's just funny to think what like fucking twitter would have been like when ecw was going on because it's like oh terry funk is a known dangerous wrestler and he's been known to you know go into business for himself and not uh not follow the rules you know and, and just be be too aggressive you know like like what the fuck um but yeah i i do like that sometimes it's a it's a certain kind of sell that i think works well where it's almost like a non-sell sell where in the in the kayfabe psychology of the match you're trying to continue on with the match while interstitched in between you're trying to like uh, fix this insane injury that you have and there's blood pouring out of your shoulder um it works because you can see the seriousness it's like this person's really trying to continue having a wrestling match but they can't just like drop it and not focus on this giant and insane cut it's a it's kind of like the positive version of like masawa pulling his tights up um or or <laughs> former guest of the podcast dan makabe pulling his uh his his shirt down um where the person like you're like you should be focusing on the wrestling but uh you can't help but uh but mess with your your ring attire because it's not fitting properly. Um, you, or like or just like flipping your hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or chewing gum. You know what I mean? Like, there's all those things that can take you out of the match because it's like it runs counter to the psychology. But the thing where the guy has the horrific injury and he's like trying to deal with it in between like throwing like weak punches to get the person to sell. Uh, for some reason that works for me. I just it all, I always love it. Um, so yeah, gotta give a gotta give the 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 tip of the cap to Effie on that one. Uh, that capitalism tweet though, that was not it. Um, did you happen to check out this uh, Beyond Fet Forever show? No, I did not, and I plan I plan on it. Uh, yeah. Either later tonight or tomorrow, but I thought that there was some good stuff on there. Wasn't it like Wheeler? The Wheeler versus Hot Sauce happened. Yes, there's a Wheeler versus Hot Sauce match. It's it's really good, but it's a little odd in the beginning because it feels to me like Wheeler doesn't fully get out of trying to wrestle heel mode until about halfway through the match. Um, so it's kind of not that it's bad, but it's just not as good because it's like to me, once Wheeler dropped the IWTV title, it's like, go back to being a babyface. Stop with the heel shit. I just want to see babyface Yuta. Um, but yeah, the match is really solid. There's a ton of good stuff on this show. Honestly, I wasn't even wanting to get into anything. I was just wanting to recommend the show overall to uh, to anybody um was there uh was there anything else you wanted to uh to talk about before we talk about basically oh, the uh, one match we were we're gonna review oh i mean yeah i guess i can give a little insight to the rewatching i've been the watching or rewatching i've been doing but watching a lot of um uh viano tessero jr and uh and his stuff and really into him and watching his 2020 and obviously the Arreo stuff uh, that was pretty no- pretty notable last year and will do well for me come my uh, come my top 100. One that stuck out for me while I was doing my my work is there was this Goshi Ozaki versus Kano match and the Go 60 is the same concept and premise as the Kano versus Nakajima match as it's the GHC um, heavyweight champion and the GHC national champion going against each other. Goshi Ozaki versus Kano much better yes than kano versus nakajima uh because goshi ozaki is a miracle worker and a god amongst men and one of the best professional wrestlers in the world when he is active and even more so than that because i haven't gotten to like the real big stuff that people are into i haven't gotten to the nakajima match yet i haven't gotten to rewatch the sakashi sagira match yet that i know we both loved at the time when we talked about it last year but 
like admittedly i think both of us were just kind of out of it when it came to wrestling last year so like yeah going back and watching it well i'll probably enjoy it more but the real gem of this goshi ozaki watch i've been doing so far is goshi ozaki versus akatoshi saito that match is fucking incredible it is amazing and akatoshi saito look feels like a fucking horror movie monster at points and goshi ozaki is his selling and just continuously getting clubbed in the arm and the way he's selling that injury and like akatoshi saito who's a super limited offensive wrestler at this point in his career and always kind of was and to see how credible goshi ozaki makes him look in this situation where this is a ma- this is a match really based off the on the clo- based off getting gaining closure from the Masawa from Masawa's death all those years ago, and yeah, I lo- I loved it. There's some references to Masawa, there's references to Bison Smith even, and yeah, Sagoshi Ozaki miracle performance making Akatoshi Saito feel like a credible threat in 2020, but also but also Akatoshi Saito brings up, uh shows up and brings his A game and yeah, like the Sagira match will probably wind up being the match highest on my list for go maybe even the nakajima match but i'm not sure i found anything more impressive that go did than the akatoshi saito match yeah uh, and uh, i don't know if you want like I, I had like one more thing if you want unless you uh, wasn't related to noah anymore but i was going to talk about uh dragon gate for a second do you have any any thoughts on uh, thoughts on the ghost stuff that i was talking about oh, there yeah no that go i watched the, most of that go title rain stuff and then uh fucking phenomenal from pretty much beginning to end as far as i was concerned um would have been in the conversation for me for wrestler of the year last year um if we had ended up doing a list so i have to remember that for our pandemic kind of year that that uh, that stuff still counts because in my head i'm kind of thinking of just 2021 um yeah. yeah we're like yeah for like for yeah for reference like we are doing january 1st 2020 to december 31st 2021 yeah and uh yeah that's a that's a a ton of great stuff in there from go and uh and i can't believe you're not you i, I can't believe you're you're underselling the muda match there i mean that's one of the best matches uh of all <laughs> year no uh yeah no that that was that was awesome i did want to mention in the in a similar vein young maybe actually you know what it's not even related at all um it, maybe just the old man coming out of retirement when he shouldn't or should uh there's a alex coglin versus josh barnett from the recent uh new japan strong show that was oh, fucking yeah, yeah, phenomenal yeah. oh my god coglin i didn't know that coglin 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 is he's 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 the best one yeah yeah no i mean it's it it's there coglin fucking rocks like this guy he, they need to get, get him out of the being a young lion and do something with him i just i'm worried that yeah i know, I know I'm, go ahead as i said like i know everyone thinks this, like we had a had an earmarked as being fredericks and i think a lot of people like also were like show that mino's gonna be that guy and I think it's been interesting to see all these young lions operating out, uh, you know, not being in Japan. And yeah, I think Coglin has been has pretty clearly taken that step as to being the best worker. Will that translate into being into getting the biggest push? Probably not. But as, as a worker, between all of between all of the ones that are stationed in all these different places, Coglin has, has pretty clearly taken that leap to being the being the number one guy. Yeah. Yuya is really good too, and I'd love to see them wrestle each mm. other soon. But Coglin, yeah, is definitely definitely the star. It's a bummer because I am worried about what they even do with someone like Coglin in New Japan proper. But we'll see, 
we'll see. Hopefully they figure something out or hopefully, you know, maybe, maybe they let him do some, some stuff outside of New Japan more and more. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely want to recommend checking that one out. But Dragon Gate, I've heard there's some big news going on in Dragon Gate. I haven't been keeping up, but, uh, a lot going on with, uh, with Masquerade and, uh, crazy fucking stories, story stuff and the champion in the title change. But you want to talk about some stuff that you've been getting caught up on, right? Yeah. So as actually, actually pertains, pertains to that. Um, well, one, I did rewatch the KZ versus Naruki Doi match from last year. A thing for the Dreamgate and Kurokin. really good. I didn't love. I didn't love it when I first saw it last year. Not sure what exactly what didn't click for me, but I loved it this time around. Um, KZ obviously is always. You're he's always uh, good for a for a great Dreamgate challenge, and uh, hopefully he wins it soon. But uh, referring to what people have been talking about lately is the turmoil and strife between uh, Masquerade. But it was a really good match. And the really shocking finish that uh that went along with it, but the match itself was really good. Diamante and uh Dia and Dia Inferno versus Shun Skywalker and Dragon Dia, and uh pretty much a, a, a lucha de apuestas match, and the loser whoever got pinned was gonna have to lose their mask. And people talked about it, and you know there was a miscommunication or something that happened towards the end. With Masquerade that winds up in Dragon Dia, Dragon Kid's protege losing his mask, which is very shocking because again he's Dragon Kid's protege, or is presented as Dragon Kid's protege. So that's a really shocking thing to see happen. And then this leads to did Shun do it on purpose? Did Shun uh did Shun clearly push Dragon Dia into the line of fire so that he could protect his mask? Or whatever, and that's leading to a really interesting story that you know it's it's a, it's a lot of nuance and emotion and uh, all that stuff in, involved in that. And if you haven't seen it, I would tell you to check check that out, Tim. I think you I think you'd really like it, and I think it'd be a good jumping point to get back into Dragon Gate because Masquerade all year since since their inception, Masquerade has been a killer unit. Whether it's their t- their tags, trios, eight man tags, whatever, they've been great all year. I love everyone in it, and to see them wrestle each other, with a prospect of them wrestling each other for a little bit, and hopefully they reconcile it because I don't want to see Masquerade break up just yet. But the prospect of them wrestling each other could lead to some really fun, really good matches. So check that out, and also SB Kento versus uh, Funky Jackie Kuma- uh, Kume. SB Kento he gets talked up a lot. Anyone that follows Dragon Gate knows how high a lot of Dragon Gate fans are on SB Kento. And he's great. He's awesome. But Funky Jackie Kime and, uh, has really shined in the last couple in the last couple of months here. And I think he has a really good future, too. So I'm not sure. Sh- I think it's the December 1st show. So if you haven't watched anything from that show, Tim, I would say check out uh, SB Kento versus Funky Jackie in the... Uh, Lucha de Apuestas main event. Yeah, the uh, the I liked Masquerade when they like debuted when they started up the stable, um, and just hadn't really paid a ton of attention to Dragon Gate. And I mean, we we talked about it. Ever, I mean, it's pretty acceptable to have been checked out on wrestling in general over the past couple years with everything. Um, but uh, especially to me, like I just I lost a lot of interest in like B and C level Japanese promotions 
um, and really could only find myself interested enough to follow DDT uh, for basically the past couple of years. So Dragon Gate, as much as I was interested in Masquerade, this does sound like an interesting story that's going on. Um, and so I did want to check it out at least. Oh, I guess I should also say Stardom um, and watching some mostly mostly Stardom, but some other Joshi stuff uh, as well has been like the only Japanese westling that I've been watching. Um, and then getting trying to get caught up on Big Japan um, because of a, a couple of really good wrestlers there. So Dragon Gate needs to get back into it. And this seems like, like you said, a good place to jump in. So I think I will. I think I will be doing that. And, y- and Yamato's, and Yamato's Dream Gate matches, even if the stuff in the Dream Gate hasn't been the most interesting, like he faced Kota Minoru, that was a good match. He faced B- he's faced BB Hawk and Benkei, and those are, those are varying ranges of the BB Hulk one was kind of mad to me, but the Benkei one is really solid. And it looks like Yamato versus Kai is up next. And again, like it's not super interesting or what you want to see, but the matches wind up being pretty good. But yeah, this uh, masquerade story is probably going to wind up being the uh, most interesting thing in Dragon Gate for the next couple couple of months. Yeah, seems like it. Seems like it. Um, well, did you want to uh, talk about the D the King or Dio uh, final here? Yeah, let's talk about it. Did you watch anything else from the show? Uh, I did not. Um, I guess I did. Uh, I don't even remember looking at the card. Let me. Uh, yeah, I just skipped through and, and watched this. And actually, looking at it, I don't know if there's anything I would care to go back for. Um, Takanashi versus uh, Shunma, maybe. Uh, yeah, no, didn't didn't check anything out. I don't. Pheromones is doing like nothing for me, honestly. So I'm just like not even interested. Yeah, that, that, I mean that's not a, that's not a, it's not a good unit. Yeah, it's fucking just appalling, and they've been taking up a lot of undercard stuff. Um, either way, did you? What, is there anything that stood out that I should go back for? Oh no, nothing in particular. I was just saying that I saw the five on five uh tag, but the but the groups from each block, the people that weren't yeah. Uh, they want to make it make it into, into the final. That was that was fun enough. Harashima Harashima was great in it. I watched Daisuke Sasaki versus Soma Takao against my better judgment. Yeah, and it was not great. Uh, but it seems like we're getting Daisuke Sasaki versus Masa Takanashi now. Ooh. And you know, if you told me about that in 2016, I'd probably be a lot more interested in it. I'm not sure how good it's going to be in 2021. I'm not sure uh, if we're going to get any nonsense or uh, any actual like great wrestling from them you can never really tell but if they do decide that they really want to work that could be a that could be a super fun match but yeah let's get to the uh to the main event here the meat potatoes uh yuki ueno versus konosuke takashita so we talked uh last yeah. time about how takashita's dominance has been kind of uninteresting and uh, spoiler alert here for if you got for if you guys don't know, but Takashita winds up winning and he winds up running running the table pretty much. Uh, draws with Okabayashi and he's gonna face him at never yeah. mind. But no losses, but no losses, no all losses. The way through. Takashita hasn't lost like in a long time. He won. He won the uh, King of DDT. He won the tag tournament. He's won this. He's just on a ridiculous roll right now, and like, it's just not very interesting. It hasn't led to super interesting stuff. But what I will say is that this match versus Yuki Ueno, I think it's the best Takashita match in a while. I think that 
This was really great. I loved the dynamic between them. I loved how dismissive Takashita was towards Ueno, even though they're both uh, part of the same part of the same stable. I thought it was glaring how much bigger Takashita is than Ueno. I don't think I ever really noticed that until until just now in this match. And Ueno was great fighting from underneath, selling and everything. But Takashita turned in a wonderful performance, being smug, arrogant, and uh and just uh, domineering over Ueno here. And it leads to some great action. I loved a lot of the stuff in it. Uh, leads to uh, this big uh, German soup, German suplex off the top. Takashita even does a Kreutz Wrath. And, every, and uh, the finishing stretch here is great. Well, uh, did, he but... did the Kreutz Wrath, the half and half for Generico. Yeah. And uh, and then like a V-trigger. So he was doing, yeah. a, he was doing a call out to... To Kenny and uh, Generico, his uh, his kind of uh, mm-hmm. his mentors, you know. Yeah, and like I said, it's not been the most interesting run for Takashita this year. Not that he's having bad matches. I don't think that you can say Takashita's having bad matches, but it's very uninteresting. It's the most un- uninteresting he's been at least in a while. But I thought for the time being in this match, you should you saw flashes of what could be. What you went on Takashita, and while I love this, I thought this was awesome. I don't even think this is the best they could do. I think I could see a even better match between them. But uh, Tim, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I think not. I this was not their best possible match at all. Honestly, I I, I hate to say this, but I, I don't think I am as high as on you. I, I definitely wouldn't say that I, I loved this. Um, I liked okay. it for what it was. The mechanics were good. Um, as you talked about, Takashita has been kind of boring in this dominant role. And, you know, the I like the bulkiness, but the stuff like hopping up for the big top rope German, I mean, he fucked it up. He slips off the top rope, and he, and he almost eats shit. He catches it, and he comes back, and he gets it. But he is so big that it's like, why even fucking try to pull that kind of stuff out? You know, he can do he can do the, right. he can still do the big tope, no problem. Like, that's enough to show off, like, I can still move. Like, trying to jump up there, like, like fucking, you know. I don't know, Shelton Benjamin or something. I can't think of, I guess Angle kind of did those, uh, you know, but like the, the hop up all the way to the fucking top, top rope and do the big German is just like, that's a lot for a guy his size now. Um, and my issue, my biggest issue was just how dominant and dismissive he was to UNO. Not necessarily because he shouldn't have been, but because I fucking, I went crazy for the, you know, the booking and the setup when we were talking about it for the, um, the king of DDT this year. And I thought that they did such a good job building and making everything like make this make perfect sense. And this like UNO, they had set UNO up uh, with the, the match with Hino, the way that he worked against a bigger guy. He was not just like getting his ass kicked. He wasn't just like, you know, a shrinking violet getting dominated. He was standing toe to toe. Even, even, even on the Akiyama match on opening night. Yeah. The Akiyama match, he was cocky. He was brazen. He was in his face. Um, the match with with bodyguard was similar thing like he doesn't even though he loses he doesn't come across weak uh the match with the uh, with uh yoshimura like he he uh he was standing toe to toe with bigger guys and he was he was still staying like cocky and brazen and then here it was like he just got fucking railroaded <laughs> like and he you talked about the fighting from underneath was good but i just think they did such a good job of setting this up that yumora is still going to be cocky and confident even against a bigger opponent and 
And you could even tell the story where he was cocky and confident, but then gets put in his place. But you didn't even get that. Like, from the start, I mean, he slaps Takashita in the face in the opening minutes of the match. And Takashita doesn't really, like, take any offense to it. He, like, just completely brushes it off and then acts like it didn't happen. And to me, it's like, it's fine for him to brush it off. But I think that it should have been part of the character of Ueno. Because up until this point, the tournament felt like it was setting up a Ueno is kind of overconfident but up till up until this he's 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 backed it up and he hasn't like necessarily gotten embarrassed for being overconfident and then here he comes in and it's like th- that story doesn't even get fleshed out and it just after that he just gets dominated um like i said i i did like takashita kind of doing the references to the past and to the people that he he's followed but it's also like there was like some insane fucking Germans, you know, German half and half suplex, uh, half Nelson suplex. They're both bumping huge on their heads and wild looking spots. You know, the, the, the double downs are great. The crowd's going nuts. The big strikes, the big back and forth. Like I said, the mechanics and everything were great. But I just felt like they missed that story. And that would have that could have helped to make this interesting, as I've talked about, like it being like the Takashita is just kind of boring um dominant here you could have had like an interesting story but uh i feel like they just kind of missed the boat with that i mean if i had to like push back on you like in reality this is yuki ueno's biggest opportunity to date and we talked about it with takashita and you might be sick of it and tired of it but takashita has been in big spots since 2015 this is nothing new for him uh while this is one of ueno's biggest opportunities yet so i can see why takashita who's like Stood in front of tougher, tougher competition is stood in front of KOD openweight champions, stood in front of different people. He's faced, you know, uh, you know, your, your endos and your Hiroshima's and he's faced all these different people. Ueno is not that. So for me, I can see why, why for Ueno, it can kind of appear like a one sided thing and Takashita isn't necessarily making him pay for it. Takashita is kind of doing what he's supposed to do. But I, I, I can see your I can see your point. I would just say that, you know, this is like really it's another day in the office for Takashita. Yeah, I, I get that. I completely get that. And I appreciate it like from Takashita's side. And like I said, from the from the mechanics and from the, the basics of just doing the match. To me, it's just a disappointment because not only did you set the table, but you've previously shown me that, that this company, if you pay attention to the booking and the and the way that the tournaments go like into the finals, you can actually get like a payoff from it. And I just feel like you didn't get the payoff here because you had told me a story with Ueno throughout this. And then at the end of it, I didn't see that story in the match and you get the post-match promo. And, uh, and you know, I read the, the, the kind of the translation thing from um, dramatic DDT, which have you know, shouted them out a bit um, in the past on the podcast here for that. But like Takashita basically said like, Oh, you know, you, you've, st- you stood toe to toe to me and, and you made it. And you know, I, this is not, this is just barely the beginning with us. And you're going to push me. You work so hard to get to this point where you're equals with me. And I was like, you did not tell me that story in the match. Like you just really did not show that Ueno was Takashita's equal here in the match. So it's like the promo seemed like it was trying to tell me that story. The tournament seemed like it was setting up that story. And then when I watched the actual match, I was I did not see that story being told. So that's like that's that kind of yeah. that kind of cognitive dissonance is what makes it hard for me to like want to or to like really enjoy the match as much as I would um, or as much as I did or like enjoy it even more because I feel like you're like 
you're kind of going against the story that you're telling me. And I don't even mind that, like, for the most part, if you don't then, like, really fucking beat it over the head by you directly could, you referencing like, it in the tell that story. You could tell that story by, like, doing a different match structure. Like I said, like, like you're saying it there. I felt the same way. Like, I saw, like, apparently on Eastern Lariat, they had said, like, this is a story is that they were equals and this and that. I'm like, wait, what? That's not the match I watched. And, like, so instinctively you're like, oh, these guys are wrong. But if that's the promo, that's, the, that's what they're trying to say in the, like, promo afterwards, then, like, yeah, that's on DDT there. Because, like, that match it didn't convey that at all. And I feel like if you wanted to, like... What you would do is you'd have Takashita feel more like he won by the skin of his teeth. Like, have Ueno rush him and have Ueno catch him off guard and have Ueno have these big fiery moments that, uh, that make, that make, that make Takashita, uh, uh, take a, take a step back and take a minute and need to get a chance to recover and think about the situation. And ultimately, Takashita can still win, but nothing about this. Show uh, spoke to me as, oh, we're equals and this and that. Like, no, that that if I if it was what I had to interpret from that, it's yeah, you've improved, but there's no one in this company that can touch me right now, and I respect you. We're in the same unit, but you're not on my level yet, and that'd be the whole thing. You're not on my level yet, and then you know, build, building towards Juno being in a space where he can challenge for the title credibly and then beat him. But yeah, nothing about the match and the way it was structured and the way it was laid out conveys to me that story. So I, I can agree with you on what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's to me, there's just that there was a major separation there. And I think, you know, whatever Eastern Larry, those guys seem nice, whatever. I don't know if they were referencing the promo as well, or if they were saying this as their own review on that. But I think it's it. I, I, you know, if you're going to be reviewing and covering something, I think it's kind of weird to be like a like the house organ of the promotion and just parrot back the story that they're trying to tell without like mentioning that like you know they didn't tell that story. <laughs> like th- that story just didn't happen here. I mean, you know, like the, the match itself was not delivered that way. And if anything, I could have taken that story really, I would have actually really enjoyed that because it would have worked super well. Ueno is so close to Takashita that he doesn't realize how great he is. And he has been cocky and confident because he's going up against pretenders to the throne. But then when he finally gets to Takashita, he like realizes like, holy shit, like this guy's my buddy, but I, I guess I've never like actually wrestled against him like this. And now I'm realizing like just at what level he is compared to, you know, everyone else. Like I would have loved that story. That would have been very interesting. And the match almost kind of told that story, but that was not what they were trying to tell. That's exactly what, that's exactly what the match did. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, okay, that should have been the story that you're telling and it would have made perfect sense. But like, yeah, in the, in, in the, in the context of the promo and the leading up in the tournament match, like what they're telling, that was like, not what we got here. I don't know. Like, is Takashita just incapable of, of, you know, not just eating people up at this point? Like, it's weird that, that obviously that was the match that he was supposed to tell, but that was not what happened. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a, I think that's an interesting, I think that's an interesting topic of conversation. I think that there are just, yeah, like you said, there were just like some dissonance between what they wanted to accomplish and then how the match actually turned out. And not that it was a bad match, if they had a different story, like if it was a different story that they were trying to tell you, then I feel like you'd be more into it. And like that story doesn't really like, you know, it can work but at the same time. 
Takashita can't really do that when this is fucking stablemate. <laughs> so like that's a little it's yeah. a little it's a little harder, but yeah, there was it's I can I can see why you would feel that way and I can see why that might make like feelings about the match like a little complicated, a little messy or whatever. Coming out of that, uh Takashita versus Okabayashi at Nevermind is confirmed, so we'll be getting that and wish Takashita will win. Sixty minutes more than likely. They should go to the sixty oh, minute, God. go all the way. I don't think I want to see Eugene in a 60-minute draw. No, no, it's fucking. It's kind of funny though that they're going back to that match after the 30-minute draw when, in the same tournament, they had Hiroshima just do the much better 30-minute draw with uh, Okabayashi uh, just recently. But you know, whatever. Hey. Yeah, whatever. I don't know why. It's stupid. That's it's okay. stupid. <laughs> um, and then uh, Minoru Suzuki will be a, will be appearing. Oh. Uh, I think I think I think that's never mind. I think that's the same show. Yeah, probably. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Might not. That's hey, that's the same show. That's pretty good. But uh, it's, it's only it's a six man it's a six man tag. Right. He's on the um, he's sitting with Maki Ito, Maki Ito and I think Chris Brooks and they're facing um, Eruption, uh, Saki Higuchi and uh, Sakaguchi. Huh. Maki Ito, Brooks and Suzuki is a weird team, but it, in some yeah, ways it's it a great sense. team. <laughs> in some ways, it's a great team. Yeah, it's a meme team. You know, they're all kind of meme memey wrestlers. That's definitely, definitely the that's definitely the twenty twenty one meme team yeah, for sure. But the, you know, that's not. It is funny to think with the the people who earnestly call him Murder Grandpa, like and like are serious about how scary he is. Like, don't realize that they're just making him into a meme wrestler, and he just is a meme wrestler. Like it's, it's Suzuki is such an odd wrestler in 2022 or 2021. Like I like him. I think he's good. I've seen him live a couple of times. The most recent one with the Dickinson match I thought was great. I mean, I mean like I mean even beyond that, you could argue he was he you could argue he was the wrestler of the year last yeah. year. <laughs> but like it's just so funny that like you know again the wrestler the gimmick of good wrestler um, is Suzuki, but he's also like this meme wrestler in the in the fucking weirdest way. Um, but like, you don't, you know, people, people don't, don't think like he's like Danhausen, but you know, he kind of is like, just like, a you know, rings or no, oh my God, did I say, um, you know, he's like a UWF Pancras, I should say King of Pancras, uh, Danhausen is basically what he is. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, in some ways, like that's his gimmick, you know, and it's kind of, yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, either way, um, you wanted to talk about the. Uh, I mean, if you want to get into this, feel free. This is your your topic here, the main event for the evening. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> people have started submitting their uh, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame uh, uh, ballots as of a couple of days ago, and um, our pal, friend of the pod, and former guest JML has uh, been compiling along with a uh, Detlef. Um, these uh, uh ballots from people who are publicly disclosing who they want to uh vote in for the hall of fame and right now as of today uh december december the 7th it is at 48 it is at 48 ballots that have come in two of them are partials and i just want to run some things by you and see what and, and get your get uh, some of your thoughts on it now i know i'll try to stay primarily in your wheelhouse so I won't be asking you much about Mexico. Okay, <laughs> so, okay, uh, that's fair. You were saying wheelhouse, and I'm like, I mean, I think I know most of the ballot, but yeah, Lucha. I mean, I could definitely talk a little bit about the Lucha candidates at least, but it's probably not 
It's probably not worth anybody's while. Okay, but uh, like I said, we're at four, we're at forty eight total ba- ballots here, and the person that is leading on the public ballots so far, okay, uh, with the highest per- with the highest percentage, is you want to take a guess, Okada. Absolutely, Okada yeah. first year on the ballot is dominating here with thirty four out of forty for the. Uh, public ballots in the region right and and that's a that's a whopping 85 percent. again there's a lot of voters uh people who aren't aware of this project that jml and detlef are doing and we'll see what the final numbers for okada wind up being but for the sample that we're getting right now 85 percent is a whopping jarring number uh has said before that okada is the best candidate to ever go on the ballot I agree. Really? I think if you compare mm. he is. Like for sure. If you if you look there's that first class that just got like grandfathered in and then if you look at people who were actually on the ballot by certain points like Okada is definitely more accomplished by say than say like Kobashi was when Kobashi went in for sure. Well, okay, but are you saying he said it's the best like first time candidate? Remember, they weren't candidates the before. Can- like, right, again, right. I, well, if you, I guess, if you, it, it depends. Like, if you want to say like candidate in general, I guess that, like you can still make arguments for certain people. But uh, remember that first wave of people that went to the Observer Hall of Fame got grandfathered in. There was right. no like, uh, there was no like voting necessary. Right, right. So as far as someone has been on the ballot, someone that has to get voted in, he's saying that this is the Okada is the best candidate. I. I think there's stronger, at least one stronger candidate on the ballot this year also than Okada. Who'd that be? CM Punk, number one, and then number two would be Tower. Hold on, what? (laughs) Punk is a better fucking candidate for the Hall of Fame than Okada right now. Especially because I think... Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay, hold on. Let's get some structure here. I'll put a a pin in that. Okay. And 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 we'll get to that. But you say that... CM Punk, you said Tawei. And Tawei, yeah. Are better candidates on the, ba- on the ballot. And they're on the ballot Okada. this year. You know, so I can't okay. imagine Okada's pin- the greatest candidate ever. Okay, I'll put a pin in that. All right. Um, Sergeant, Sergeant Slaughter, uh, 18th, 18th year on the ballot. Right now, out of 46 public public ballots in the region, he has 29 votes. Giving him a giving him a vote percentage of sixty three point four percent, which would be enough to get in if that wound up being his final number in twenty twenty. He had a final vote percentage of thirty five percent. Tim, would you be a Sergeant Slaughter voter if you had a vote? I know your co host Pete from This Week in Wrestling. I think he's a, I think he's a voter. Has he been a Slaughter voter in the past? What are your thoughts on? Slaughter I don't know here? if he is, but I would think he would be. Um, I think I would go, I would go with Slaughter for sure, honestly, because I do. I think that okay, because I did hear a little bit of Hall of Fame talk already, some scuttlebutt around from people, and I think that there were some people saying like, "Oh, Slaughter, like, is a, a a cherry pick case because there's only a few good matches to point out." But I think that that really overlooks a ton of solid work from Slaughter over the years. Um, and also like the fact that Slaughter's case is not really necessarily a hundred percent a work rate case. Like that's overlooking 
a ton of his draw and merchandise factors. Slaughter kind of busted open the merchandise game in a way that had existed in uh, in like Japan, but not as much in America. Um, Slaughter became like a huge fucking merchandise seller, a huge drawing card for for uh, for feuds. I mean, I think he was like number th- you know either three or four top drawing with Hogan in a time where like that's a big fucking deal because of how much Hogan drew with like a ton of like a ton of people. Um, so yeah, I think that it's kind of a, I think it's kind of really overlooking a, a pretty solid case for slaughter. Personally, I think yes, but also like there is the benchmark guys, you know? So there is kind of like the people who you say, like, if you're not this good, then you shouldn't be, you know, if you're not better than this guy, then you shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And, and Slaughter's a fine enough, you know, example of that, I guess. Um, if you wanted to say that he was a cutoff guy, then I think, like, there's a lot of people who are already in the Hall of Fame that shouldn't be. Um, but, yeah, I think that comparatively and and just where he's at, like, I mean, he's got a ton of great matches. He's got some of the best matches of the decade, like, a couple of them in different promotions, in different styles, singles, tag match, all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, on top of that, he's also got draw and, and a bunch of stuff. So, I mean, I think he's a... I honestly, as I'm talking about it, I'm like, Slaughter's a fucking kind of a slam dunk candidate. It's ridiculous that people even question it and that he's been on the ballot for this many years. Sorry. I think, I think, I'd, uh, I, I think I'd be a Slaughter voter. Uh, actually, I think I got his percentage wrong. No, he got 53%. Okay. Yeah, I think the 35% was a... Uh, was Big Daddy, but he got fifty three percent last year on the uh, final vote percentage. I think I'd be a slaughter. I, I think I'd be a slaughter voter if I uh, if I had a ballot. Uh, we also have Jim Crockett uh, as of right now, based off the ballots uh, for the historical U.S. and Canada, he's at fifty six percent. Well, Jim Crockett Jr. I mean, he's at fifty six percent. I mean, that seems like a slam dunk kind of guy, but Budnat is uh, I'm really passionate about. That has disappointed me to see his trajectory on this. And I probably want to do some work to try to maybe get more support for him as Junkyard Dog. Yeah. Eighth year on the ballot. Uh, uh, he has 22 votes out of 46 in the modern U.S. and Canada. And he is at... Ooh, yeah, 47% right now. 47% out of the public ballots that are out there and he was at 42 percent last year tim it is batshit insane to me that a guy who you can argue is the biggest star in the history of a particular region and was a legitimate number two babyface to hulk hogan at one point isn't in the hall of fame i know that bad junkyard dog was bad but it seems like that takes precedent over how big of a star culturally that junkyard dog was and that one continues to frustrate me every time i see him not getting in yeah i mean this is one of the things that you talk about where the skew is the biggest issue with the observer hall of fame and why honestly i don't put a lot of stock into the observer hall of fame and don't care that much about it um it sucks because basically it's like looked at as the most prestigious hall of fame that exists for professional wrestling um but it's also it's really flawed because a huge reason why junkyard dog hasn't gotten in and probably won't is because of 
the historical precedent that Dave has set in negative feedback, negative reviews, and negative sentiment towards the dog, um, which is, it's fucking bullshit because, you know, it's kind of, you know, meme, another meme culture. It's kind of a cultural touchstone artifact that, you know, the junk food dog and, and the way that Dave made fun of uh, Junkyard Dog when he was at his worst, but he doesn't correct the record like he should publicly and as openly that like that was a specific time period and that overall junkyard dog was not that wasn't the only thing that there was about him but so many people have that you know kind of take on him and those are the people who vote in the observer hall of fame because most people who vote in it at least somewhat read the observer or or at least familiar with dave Meltzer existing because it'd be kind of fucking weird if this guy sent you a ballot every year and you voted in his hall of fame and you had no idea who he was um i'm sure that there's some there's got to be some people that do that but uh, it can't be a giant percentage of them so yeah that's kind of the thing that i think unfortunately skews the 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 hall of fame in a way that's unfair because it should be a little bit more objective and yeah like you're talking about at his stardom level i think he should be in um one thing i want to talk about a little bit more is just kind of the kind of dave's framing of the hall of fame and the way that i've seen it shift over the past couple of years but we can talk about that maybe later um it's because i'm i feel like i'm rambling more than i mean to very good man like i'm, I'm lobbing these up to you before i get to uh this particular one Uh oh now Kota Ibushi, fifth year on the ballot, uh, out of 40 votes in the, uh, 40 voters in Japan, he got 17 of them, and he's at 40%. Uh, same thing with Akira Tawe, so they have the same percentage. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii, third year on the ballot, he got 15 out of 40, he's at 37.5%. Tetsuya Naito, fifth year on the ballot, 11 out of 40, 27.50. Tim, why the fuck are people voting for Ibushi and Ishii and not, and not Tetsuya Naito? And again, this is a small sample. Yes. 48 public ballots right now out of however many Dave sends out because he sends out a lot of them. But out of this sample, why are people voting for voting for Abushi and Ishii and not Naito. Well, I'd like to know really like kind of percentage wise, what the breakdown is of their ballots, like what type of voter they're coming from. Because Dave, he obviously, I think he said that there's like four categories of people that he gives ballots to basically, which is older wrestlers, like retired wrestlers, current wrestlers, like wrestlers who are still active, um, current media, journalists and and historians. Um, yeah. So I would like to know what percentage, you know, what quadrant of those four is being represented by these belts. Because if I was going to guess, based on, you know, who they're getting these from, they're getting them from not really from wrestlers and mostly from media. And I would say probably mostly from journalists rather than historians. Um, if I had to guess, you know what I mean? Then maybe they're getting some historians, but I would say they're probably getting more media than anything else. And as I talked about, the like kind of the Dave's framing of things is going to skew the way that the the Hall of Fame goes. And I think it's going to more powerfully skew 
journalists than anyone else because dave's the dave's the top dog when it comes to journalism right dave's the big the big name in in wrestling journalism so other people who happen to be in wrestling journalism are going to be familiar with dave and why are people voting for ishii and abushi and not naito because of again what i was just saying that dave over the past couple of years has sneakily shifted the way that he presents the ballot candidacies and what works because I've heard him repeatedly talking about Ishii and in a way that makes it clear that he wants Ishii to get into the Hall of Fame that if someone is such a slam dunk work work in ring work case they should win and they should or not win but they should go in and that Ishii is that good and should go in based solely on work and I remember getting you know ballots seeing copies of the direct ballot for, that is sent to people and for the longest time, it said that it should be a percentage of everything and it should be equal. And that, like, basically, you know, subtly saying that, like, someone who's a solid all work race work rate case probably shouldn't go in as much as someone who has, like, the draw and, the you know, as much. And that draw is realistically the biggest factor. And now it seems like as wrestling has shifted more towards Dave's taste... You know, just a, a little bit conspicuous in that regard. Uh, he's more and more said that, you know, if you're just a really good wrestler, you should get in. And Ishii, I think, is definitely like the biggest sign of that. More and more people are going to vote for Ishii because Dave is directly telling people to. Do you not think that, that our like line of thinking is fair? That if yeah, like. I think it's fair. Again, like, so I'm saying. Again, I was going to ask, like, if Hulk, Ho- like Hulk Hogan. Like people will debate about debate about Hulk Hogan's work, but like obviously, if Hulk Hogan's going in, it's about drawing record and like insignificance. If you're doing Ishii, like is Ishii as good of a worker as Hulk Hogan is a draw? I mean, like I don't know. Like some people are gonna have Ishii top ten in their GWE list the next time that comes around. So so like yeah yeah. So so I so I don't so I don't so I don't know. And obviously that becomes a more of of a subjective thing than I feel like a Hall of Fame necessarily should be, but. Yeah, I think that it's a thing that has some merit to it. And I think that you do have a point in saying that, like, well, Dave has been one of the biggest proprietors of Ishii of the, la- of the last decade, compared to comparatively to Naito, who I would say Dave has never really been that big of a fan no. of, either. No, he's not high on him. And my, my gripe here is not even necessarily to say that, that, that the current standard is wrong. My gripe is to say that the presentation and the standard that he set forth for the voting criteria has changed much the same as like how this, like I've said, the star rating has changed, right? And everyone's losing their fucking mind about how much the star ratings have varied from, you know, what they used to mean to what they mean now. Like the same has happened to the hall of fame. Like Dave has clearly changed what he thinks the, the, the kind of the, the, um, the metrics should be for voting for the hall of fame and that's fine but it is like kind of odd to 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 take something and just switch it and not expressly say it because like i said he's not he's not putting that codifying that into the criteria he's just like mentioning it on podcasts repeatedly while still having basically the ballot say the same thing so that's why I just don't get like if you if you want it to be this way, then you should probably expressly s- make that clear. But he does not. And he's still the ballots still basically say that, 
no one it should be very difficult for someone to get into the hall of fame with a case that's purely one thing and nothing else like it that it should be a percentage of all three criteria mixed basically um so do you think that it gets do you think that it gets harder and harder as like wrestling goes on and wrestling becomes more homogenized to realistically have that mix i think that i think that was kind of my thing when it came to like the indie wrestlers when it came for in time for the indie guys to make the ballot is that you're asking things of them that they can't really do anymore that you can't really like you know put on them like as far as like drawing power if someone spent their career being a being an indie guy like a Chris Hero or whatever, yeah, you can't point to like how many like record setting houses or whatever that Chris Hero bring in, but you can point to how many people Chris Hero trained and Chris Hero's significance to the indie scene as a whole and his significance to so many different promotions and stuff like that. That like I it's a, I think it's a like a logical transformation and a logical evolution of the Hall of Fame. But I do think that it is going to take, still take some adjusting because, like you just talked about, this is what Dave kind of conditioned people to think of the Observer Hall of Fame as. And now suddenly it's, well, hmm, maybe we should give more credit to people for being great wrestlers. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the Dick Murdoch thing. Like, you know, to me, he's always been the standout when I talked about that benchmark person. Like, to me, the major thing is always if Dick Murdoch's not in, then you have to be better than him to be in. And based on the way that he puts it now... Dick Murdoch should be in like I don't think that like but he never will get in because the voters now are not there's not enough voters that like are going to think of him or be like you know really know his career through and through as much as yeah no one's gonna think no you know one's gonna like you know we're not fresh off of like 10 years of Dick Murdoch super worker like yeah like we are of Tomohiro Ishii being great for 10 years yeah that's exactly it and you could argue that dick murdoch was a bigger draw and you know what i mean actually meant something for gates at a time so it's like if you're gonna do that combination thing then like yeah he he should have gotten in and again i'm fine with it i just think if dave wants to do this he needs to explicitly I, i would appreciate if he explicitly said this stuff and and i agree with you that like the business has changed in ways that you have to like you you have to adjust and it is true that the the hall of fame now should be different and the criteria should be different because of how wrestling is and i would love for dave to take the time to come out and say like you know merch counts like when it comes to drawing selling merch should count and he i think should expressly say that but he has not and he probably never will say it okay um Let's go to CM Punk here. CM Punk, eight years on the ballot out of 46 votes in the region, got 12 of them. Uh, rate cap giving him a, a percentage of 26%. He got 15% of the vote last year. Uh, are you shocked at how like relatively low CM Punk is doing? And like this could go up and probably will go up, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Um, I would say. But still, uh, are you surprised early on about the lack of support for Punk? Yeah, I've always, I, I've not been surprised. Like I said, I think that Punk is a, a, a slam dunk candidate, the kind of guy that should have been in first ballot kind of guy, as far as I'm concerned, before the AEW stuff. Um, but he's the biggest case that I've made, or the biggest case for what I just said, that if you expressly said merch selling merch 
selling, you know, actually selling stuff to fans counts as part of your draw, I think that more people would would have gone for Punk because he was a big time top level merch seller, you know, not just like shirts, but DVDs like through history. ROH, you know what I mean? Huge DVD sales from CM Punk stuff. Um, and then obviously also the shirts and all of the the historical impact, the, you know, if you counted fucking podcasts that started because of CM Punk as influence, I think that, you know, lights out, knockout case. I think one of the one of the most important wrestlers of our generation, of our time, I think you agree with me on this, and I think it's insane to not count Punk for the historical. Even just historical influence Punk counts, but he was also a top draw for many years, a top star in WWE. Uh, I think phenomenal worker, underrated truly as a worker, um, especially when you talk about smarts. Not necessarily maybe the most athletic guy in the world, but... When it comes to telling stories and and really d- delivering in ring, when it comes to emotion and getting you invested, Punk is right there with the best of all time. Yeah, I mean, this is to me, Punk is the strongest candidate on this ballot, and I have never been surprised that Punk doesn't get voted in though, because there's a negative connotation to him for the past seven years of that he shit on pro wrestling. He doesn't love pro wrestling. And I think there's a ton of people who they're voting in the observer hall of fame. They're voting in a wrestling hall of fame and they don't want to put somebody who doesn't respect wrestling in a wrestling hall of fame. And that's why they don't vote for him. Now that he's back, I do think that he'll do very well this year. I don't know if he'll get in this year. I think that obviously I think he deserves to, but I think that he's going to do a lot better than 15% this year. Okay. Uh, do you like? Do you think that? Do you think that he'll get in based off of I guess this run, or do you still think it'll take some time? I think he'll get in based that. on this run, not this year though. I think next year or the year after, okay. when this run continues, continues to draw and continues to produce like great matches. I think that he'll get in like next year or the year after. All right, there's nothing else really pressing for me that I want to talk about. But there is one thing. So Trish Stratus, who for some reason is on the ballot, five years on the samples, hasn't hasn't gotten a vote yet. But Nikki Bella, first time on the ballot, has gotten a vote. And Tim, it's from your boy, Tom Lawler, apparently. Hell yeah. Yeah, he mentioned that uh, on his podcast today, or that I listened to today. It was from like Monday or whatever. But uh, yeah, that, that for his uh, Hall of, or his Hall of Filthy uh that that uh nikki bella gets in um and the the i give him i'll give him a a shout out i'll steal his joke from this he said that uh every woman that he's slept with knows who nikki bella is so that's a pretty a solid metric for how famous she is right um (laughs) you have to give him some credit for that one but uh yeah i mean i'm not voting for nikki but uh you know whatever people can if they want that's i I don't think it matters, you know. Okay. So, I put a pin in it. Do you think... Uh, CM Punk, I feel like... if like I feel like you can at least argue that one. I love Tawei just as much as anyone loves Tawei. You know that. Right. You think Akira Tawei is a better candidate than Okada? Okada. <sighs> that may have been... 
maybe oh, like, an come, overreach. Come on. <laughs> but I said I said for sure one, maybe two. And I will say that Otawe is an overreach in the sense that I've said it, I've gone on record multiple times that I think Tawe is a no-brainer, should be in. So I was really thinking in a more pass-fail kind of thing rather than okay. strong candidate. And so if I'm saying pass-fail, I think that Otawe is a better pass fail candidate than than okada and this is my and this is my main reason i can understand not voting for okada right now i cannot understand not voting for Tawei right now because i think that i think that if you have like, i think if you have a reason for voting for okada not voting for okada like either way if, you, if you're not voting for Tawei, i think your reason is just as illogical and doesn't make any sense but the usual the usual reason for not voting for someone like Okada or I think like I don't see I think a logjam is gonna happen in Japan. I think that yes, like with the new Japan guys coming up and everything, like I think there's gonna be a real logjam in Japan. It's gonna be very similar uh, to the anyway, Mexico logjam that happened for a, like a decade up until recently. Yeah. yeah. So I think so. Like, but the, but the argument is that oh the you know that these guys don't have enough career. They're still waiting for waiting to tell this. Well, story. I think Okada, like that's fucking Okada, feels like a, a Naka, Nakamura like situation. Unfortunately, no, 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 because no, 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 because here's the thing that Nakamura, like people thought that he was a slam dunk candidate. They voted him in, and then he had a bunch of years that that makes people feel like we. I made a mistake for voting for him, and I'm not saying that Okada is going to do the same thing, but I'm gonna say this that. Okada has been down. Obviously, it's tough because of the pandemic to really judge him for it, but he has not hit the same heights as he has in the past for the past couple of years. And I do understand people being trepidatious to say, I don't want to vote this guy in and then have him basically embarrass like the Hall of Fame. I can I can, t- I can tell you the dif- I can tell you the difference that Nakamura wasn't headlining as many big shows as, t- as Okada sure. was and like are they consistently at drawing on top and doing record-setting numbers on top that Okada has done? Like when when Nakamura went in, this is still like waist deep in the in the Okada era, and I doubt that people were going back and looking at Nakamura's old days or his old footage and making that judgment off of him. It was because people liked Shinsuke Nakamura at that time, and he drew. He drew well. He was a good secondary title holder, and who knew, and who knows what he could have done if he get, if he did get a run with the main belt. But his drawing record was significantly weaker than what Okada has done in the last nine years. That like, n- I that one doesn't work yeah. for me at all. Well, it's and like, even it's not comparable. No, my point is not that I'm making this argument. My point is that I see the argument. You know, okay. I I because on top of that. Okay, Nakamura not only didn't have the drawing case of Okada, Nakamura didn't have the work. Nakamura has is more of a cherry pick. Even his past work before the point where he got in, he got in on on Legend and on like like Aura without people actually doing the work. He was in the middle of this kind of like heralded run where people basically said oh this guy is an old legend and he still draws for, for what for what for what it's worth for what it's worth i think he goes in a tw- i think he goes in 2015 and i think that's the that's the, uh, obviously the same year as the abushi 
uh, Wrestle Kingdom match. Yes. I think he was a 2015, I think he was a 2015 inductee. Yeah. And the thing is, is that his case was based on people, his case was based on hearsay. His case was based on people who were excited about him, who had just heard about him, saw him have good matches, and then were told that you can extrapolate that out to he's had multiple years of matches of this quality, and he had not. He has few, he has good matches here and there, and he has some of the best matches in New Japan history, but he only has a few of them, and he doesn't have even the same work rate case that Okada has, truly. My point is, I can understand people not voting for him more than I can understand people not voting for Tawei because they're trepidatious, he's still in his career, is he on the backswing, is he going to embarrass us, and it's not warranted because you should be voting on him based on his case right now, and not on what you're projecting as, as his case, but people do that, it's been proven that people vote for this Hall of Fame. They There are people who will say that someone deserves to go in, but they don't vote for them because they're still an active wrestler. That is a thing that people do. They just will not vote for an active wrestler because they don't want to, you know, it's. I guess you could call it the Benoit, like, you know, uh, the Benoit rule. People are afraid that they're going to vote for someone who's still wrestling and they're going to regret it when that person does something bad down the line. Even if that's like just being a bad wrestler. So that's why I can see not voting for Okada. I don't see the case against Talway in any way. We know what the case, we know, we know what the case is against against Talway is that he is the least of the four the least of uh the four of greatest wrestlers, of greatest wrestlers of all time. It's still like or four of the greatest wrestlers of, the of all time. So it's like you know, you know, that's the case against him. The case is he's the least of the four wrestlers who were like one of the hottest periods in the history of wrestling that drew crazy houses and had phenomenal matches. Like that's not a case. That's an insane case to make. But yeah, I, I, having ha- being being in, being arguably the best tag team of all time, being one of the highest drawing tag teams, like you know of uh, you know in Japanese yes. history, like. Being one of the best heels of all time, like, like, it, it's weird. Like, I'll hear people like make these arguments, but well, what about all, what are all these great matches that Tawei had without these other guys? And I'm like, okay, sure, like, like, I, I like, I, there are some people that think Tawei is the best. Like, okay, like at that point, we're getting into like real like subjective sure, sure. bullshit there. But dude, like, just factually, factually, he was part of that stuff. You can't just act like he wasn't there, right? No. <laughs> like, like it's just fucking insane to me to sit there and like watch twelve six ninety six and think that, oh yeah, I could just put Takawa Mori, yeah, and we're in the same Tawei's place. I'm sorry, yeah. Like, what the, what the fuck are we talking about? Tawei <laughs> was never a warm body, even if I don't, fuck, even if you really don't like him, like his presence, his aura, and what he could do couldn't have just been replaced by anyone. I, I, okay, this is not the point, but that's my point. Basically, that's my only point for why I say, like I said, I was looking at past, like a past fail kind of thing. I'm going to say expressly just the case. The only issue would I maybe be that Tauway was part of a bigger draw, but again, he was, he was the less, the least of. He was the least, he was, he was, he was, like, he was the least push. So, like, on some level, we just don't know. Like, If you want to go, like, look at his, like, 1995 stuff and, like, try to see how well, like, his Triple Crown match with Masawa, Masawa drew, I guess. But, like, 
he was also the least pushed. So, like, what exactly are you holding against him? It's not like he was on top and failed. Right. It's not like any of that. It's not like he has any of that against him. So, what exactly did Talway do wrong as to where <laughs> he's part of one of the greatest runs in wrestling history? They're called the four pillars. They're not called the three musketeers or the three pillars <laughs> yeah, or whatever right. the fuck. They're called the four pillars. Like, what exactly did he do wrong as to where, no, Kawada, Masawa, and Kabashi can go in, but not him? Yeah. He, like, he like he didn't fail. He didn't fail. Like, people tried that shit with Junakiyama for years and tried to say that actually Junakiyama was a bad draw and this and that, and he failed on top. And that was that got disproven eventually, and Akiyama was able to get in. But Tawei didn't do anything wrong. So I think like that's that's the one that, like, always bothers me or boggles my mind that uh, yeah at some point it comes down to subjectively do you think Tawei is a great wrestler and on work rate does Tawei deserve to get in on that alone but like he's in one of the best tag teams of all time I think that he's one of the best wrestlers ever you can't take him away from one of the hottest periods in wrestling history and he didn't fail at anything so like what exactly are you holding against Akira Tawei I don't know yeah but yeah I guess yeah that's my that's my my uh my thought on that and like to try to think of like comparing comparing his case to Okada, I could definitely see Okada as a stronger case right now. He's just got the one issue of basically that he's still an active wrestler and that he's been on a downswing and if you project out that he continues to be on a downswing, then maybe you're, you know, not as high on him. But I don't project out him continuing to be on a downswing personally. I just think wrestling is fucked you know like covid is happening oh, yeah, yeah i think me yeah me and you've talked about this like this is just like other than like ftr who like you know obviously like rely on crowdy so directly okada's been, probably been like more affected that uh, by the pandemic and like how how the crowds have to be than just about anybody right well and i talked about it before when i kind of broke down the 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 way that Okada does the same injury angle that Tanahashi always does every year, but his injury is mental health. Um, like, people love Adam Page talking about having depression, but nobody wants to, you know, you know, love Okada for, for having mental health issues. And one year he just turned into the Joker. You know, these things happen. You can't, when you're, when you're that fragile mentally, sometimes you can't help but... Uh, you know, you just get really into ICP for a couple months, and you start <laughs> taking just, just, You know, just getting, just getting joke, just getting joker. Yeah, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like this year, Okada really got into No Nut November. Like, is that really a problem? Like, this is just part of the character. But, uh, but <laughs> again, like I said, people love Adam Page for talking about being depressed and all this stuff, and but they don't give the same, you know, the same deference to uh, to Okada for doing. Okada's been doing mental health issues wrestler for a lot longer than than Adam Page, but uh, people just overlook that and say that he's bad and say that his G ones are disappointing. But it's like it's honestly it's it's the it's the character, it's the story, it's part of the Okada thing. Um, so we'll see how as he moves forward if people start to appreciate more and more that he's on the vanguard of selling. <laughs> um. But you, you touched on something there about, like, kind of, like, projecting outward, like, oh, like, he's, you know, hasn't, he's still in his prime or this or that. And, like, that bothered me when I've heard people talking about Tetsuya Naito. Tetsuya Naito, well, like, I guess like we can kind of, kind of Bushi here, too. Tetsuya Naito and Kota Bushi are both 40. Guys, 
it is it is not 2014 anymore. <laughs> it's not even 20 it's not 2016 anymore. These guys are grown older men who probably don't have that much time left in professional <laughs> don't have that much time left in professional yeah. wrestling. What are you talking about? You like I've said I've said this and I think that like this rings true. I think that people look at certain time periods and like they view one as like like so, like something about it visually just feels older than one time period feels. Oh yeah. Like nineteen eighty four feel nineteen eighty four to nineteen ninety seven feels like a longer period of time than two thousand nine to twenty twenty one. Like oh, yeah. for some reason visually in your brain, when you imagine that, when you hear that, that sounds like a longer period of time, but like it's not. It's like the same period of time. And I think that people look at this and they think, oh, Tatsuya Naito's been active, has been like a really key member of the roster since, let's say, give or take 2009, 2010, became a really hot act in 2015, became a major draw in 2016, is having this run now. And they just like look at it, if it's just like still like all like this newer and older information, Tatsuya Naito was in the G1 final in 2011. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think that pe- like, people like do have this like weird thing when they think about someone's career and year and career and years as they're going through them currently like abushi 40 i know he looks i know he looks like a child still has a still like you know a baby face and everything but abushi's 40 so i think that's been weird to me and something that like hopefully will like be gone by the like you know in the next like three or five years and these guys can just get in but it has been weird to see people talking about oh well they're still doing this, they're still doing that. These are 40-year-old men that probably have, like, only a few more years of wrestling left in them. I mean, it's not... The problem is it's not going to change, and it's just... It's a cultural thing because because nothing's happened. Like, yeah. we've had a decade... We've had almost 20 years of just nothing. Like... Look at, like, yeah, look how much WWE... Look, like, I don't even like, mean just wrestling. WWE, I mean, like, society, uh, but yeah. Uh, no, no, of course, I'm saying, like... Look at how much WWE changes from 1984 to 1997, and then how much little changes from 2009 to 2021. Yeah, we're just, we're stuck in, like, this arrested development as a society, and it definitely spreads out to wrestling as well, where it just feels like nothing has changed for the past, like, 20 years. So, yeah, it does make it hard to remember and understand that time is passing. Like... Dude, I still think of, like, t- when I hear or see something is 2018, I'm like, that shit was yesterday. That shit just happened. Yeah. And it's like, no, that, sh- that was, like, five years ago. Like, we are way past it. We are not, you know, it- there anymore. But it fe- especially we've had two years that have felt like nothing has happened, um, basically. And, like, yeah, we're just... Where it's it's really fucking hard to get anyone to pay attention, but yeah, Naito Naito shows it a lot more than than Abushi at this point. But yeah, like these guys are done; they're on the back half, they're on the back swing, um, and I think Naito Naito's an interesting one because it depends how much you appreciate kind of his his draw level because he was a huge fucking star for like a like a. a a weird cut 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 apart pieces of career he had like two years of solid stuff as a baby face he had about two years of like whatever and then he had like 
four years of like being the the one of the top most popular guys in the company, and then now he's like settled. And then in. like and then when his and then when his run was about to kick off, he gets they, they get fucked by the pandemic. So like right. I when think they were the gonna... stuff. That, I think I think the stuff that. Go ahead. Oh yeah. No, go ahead. I was saying like the stuff that would have solidified Naito yes. Naito's run. I think like got fucked. Like like the Kent, the Kenta match after um after Wrestle Kingdom last year drew really well, but again like the world closes up and crowds get limited and who knows how big the Lij versus Lij stuff would have been if the world was open like. I think that that stuff would have been drawing really, really well. Yeah, no, no, that would have been that was his legacy case. He was building his legacy, and he was going to pop off and uh, and really uh, like prove and solidify his spot. And it got fucked and got derailed, and it does put him in a weird position. Um, you know, he was doing the, <laughs> the basically COVID caused the evil run and the evil the evil uh, Naito stuff was basically like uh, when Obama was trying to build his legacy and he calls uh, Mayor Pete to, to drop out of the, the election to give it to Biden. That's a that's what Naito did to his legacy. It's the same thing that Obama did there. We're now like the guy is just looked at as like a failure. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's a that's kind of. It's kind of what happened uh, for Naito, for sure. Abushi is an interesting one because I think Abushi basically has a full case on in DDT, and it depends on what people think of DDT. But I think it's hard to argue against him being a fucking draw all over the place, um, outside of Japan as well as in DDT. And then he comes to New Japan and has a solid case there. But I think that people will overlook the, that and just think of his new japan stuff and basically think that like he hasn't done much which i think is a fucking is a joke it really is because ddt was a solid number two and number three promotion um for the entire they ran budokan in fucking 2012 yeah. like what are we doing yeah. here yeah but it's people people are fucking brainwashed into thinking of wrestling in the same terms as like america and it and for some reason New Japan is just what people now think is WWE of Japan. So if you do anything in Japan and it wasn't in New Japan, it didn't matter. And like people have applied that historically in a stupid way. And they don't understand that Japan is not America and there isn't just one hegemonic company. There has been New Japan for a very long time, but historically there was tons of wrestling companies in Japan that all drew equal or close enough to equal fuck man like japan you had fmw sell out fucking domes with no tv like you have to understand that business in japan is not the same as in america but there's a lot of people who don't understand that all right so you are for sure cm punk is a better yes well i guess I, in, in europe yes he's, he's definitely better canada than yes right now yes 100 percent I think, without any question, I think Okada, good wrestler, good draw, um, but does not have anywhere near the historical candidacy, the historical uh, impact that Punk does. And Punk just has, I think, has the same, if not better, for me personally, argument for wrestling-wise. I think that, I think Punk and Okada are... At yeah, least let's, let's, let's just say wrestling wise. Right. Yeah, let's just say like wrestling wise is, is a draw. Like let's yeah. just say like whatever. Like, but you can't like the twenty like 
Okada is definitely very key to like oh, what yeah. New Japan became. I think when you talk about historical significance, that's what we're talking about here. Is that you know, yeah, Bushy Road uh, and like knowing how to market and advertise and finding out like all these ways to like build revenue outside of wrestling tickets, like yeah, that's a big reason as to why they 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 like they've had record revenue. But at the same time, it comes down to wanting to see the guys on top, and the guy on top is Ben Okada, and the argument can be the argument can be made that CM Punk is significant. CM Punk broke through. CM Punk broke the glass ceiling. But, you know, that ceiling then, like, but that but that ceiling is then getting repaired and getting closed back up as we speak. So, his he's a historical significance because he's an outlier. But, like, did anything change because of CM Punk? I, like, that would be the argument that, that someone can make against him. I mean, AEW exists, right? Yes, yes, yes. And so it's hard to not argue that Punk... Punk breaking through the glass ceiling and, and what Punk did was the impetus for something like AEW existing. Because, again, it's like... Punk and what he did and, and the barrier that he broke and what happened caused WWE to completely shift their focus. And that caused indie wrestling to be thought of as viable enough to where you could end up with indie wrestlers selling shirts and hot topic to where then you could end up with AEW being a viable second brand. And I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding. People may question AEW needs to continue to exist. That's why I say if AEW continues on, they sign another big TV deal relatively soon. Um, and I think that you have punk's impact on wrestling solidified even more, but I think that you already have punk's, impact on wrestling solidified as is i think that punk is a key figure in the history of wrestling where i don't think that you can tell the story of wrestling from 2000 on so for the past 20 years i don't think you can still tell the story of wrestling without mentioning cm punk because i just think no matter where Mm. no matter what wrestling is is important to you He's important. You have both. You have both of the summer of punks, right? The one on the indies. So if you're like, if it's important to you to talk about the indies, you're going to talk about punk. And then you have the summer of punk in WWE that, like I said, it spawned a thousand podcasts. Because when punk does cuts the pipe bomb promo, that actually got buzz and mainstream attention. That it seems like it's so far in the rear view that you don't remember it. But I mean, Bill Simmons was talking about wrestling. You know, because of CM Punk. Punk and wrestling were, were was something that people cared about. And then he pops buy rates in UFC when he leaves. So he's proven that, like, he's a draw, he gets attention, and he's important. So I just think that that historical precedent is set by Punk. I mean, the guy, the guy is just, like, a big fucking deal when it comes to the history of wrestling, no matter how you cut it. If you're, if you're into indie wrestling... You have to talk about punk. If you're into mainstream wrestling, you have to talk about punk. And then moving forward, I think that we continue to see that like there's a second brand that may become a bigger, more influential part of professional wrestling. And you could argue that it's because of punk that it exists. So I think it's really hard to overlook the hi- historical significance of him. In American wrestling, if you want to argue that 
Japanese wrestling has completely changed because of Okada. I could see it, especially because you have Bushi Road growing and continuing to develop around, like, also having stardom and possibly professional wrestling can solidify around one company like i was talking about earlier where that is how it is in america but it hasn't been that way and you could say that okada is a big part of that but we haven't seen it necessarily completely solidify yet so maybe i end up being wrong but i think at the moment punk has a huge huge footprint the guy is just one of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling and it's like hard for me not to not to say that that like he's influenced people in every way People want to wrestle like Punk. People want to cut promos like Punk. People want to be a star like Punk. Like, every part of wrestling, people imitate CM Punk. Yeah, for what it's worth, I am I would be a CM Punk voter. Sure. So no, no, I know, that, I know that you're just kind of... Yeah, I'll just say... You're just kind of yeah. straw manning the, or steel manning the counter-argument. I get it. Um... If I look at this, I, don't, I know you don't have the uh, thing the uh, the sheet in front of you. If I had to uh, turn in a list as I'm looking through here, I would probably go Okada, JYD, Taiwei, uh Punk, Naito, Bill Dundee, and Don Owen as my like like locks for me. But, yeah, after that would be, like, people who I'd have to, like, look into more, think about more. But I think those would be my locks if I had, if I, if I had a ballot. Okay. Let me, uh, should I even waste the time trying to look up a ballot right now to give mine? I don't think I'll be able to. I can, I can, I can, uh, Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking, I'm like, how boring will it be to, like, for me to look over everything and say who I would vote for right now? Um... Let me see. I don't think it's Where worthwhile. I, it's not worthwhile. I'm not gonna. <laughs> this is just not even waste the time doing this because I'm not even gonna. I'll have to look at it and and decide. And it's that's fair. Sorry, sorry. I I would vote for Sima. I'll just say that. Um. Oh yeah, I didn't say. I didn't say. Yeah, Shima will be on my ballot yeah. as well. So I would have Shima, and I think I, th- I think I've given up the fight on Yoshiaki Fujiwara. My okay, so here's my argument. My here's my would all stand out, and maybe this does play into what we mentioned before the podcast. There was an alternate name for this episode that uh, we did not use. That uh, <laughs> that uh, maybe this this take f- falls into. Uh, non wrestlers don't count towards your ballot, so my my thought is just vote for all of the non-wrestlers i don't give a shit if i had a ballot i would just yeah. vote for every non-wrestler it doesn't count who cares just vote for them if they're on the ballot they probably deserve it uh i mean would you vote for stephanie mcmahon hell yeah definitely and i'm sure that tom lawler also <laughs> he said that he voted for stephanie mcmahon as well um i'd vote for her who i cares? think uh pat i think pat i think pat LaPrade said he voted yeah, yeah for he did he so. did he I, I heard that as well um, yeah, I would vote for Stephanie. Who, like, why not? Making cases for pa- making cases for Stephanie McMahon while also shooting down Naito. Yeah, exactly. That's it's <laughs> That's important. Incredible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would. Uh, I would definitely vote for. I would just vote for every non wrestler. Like I said, if they're on the ballot and it doesn't count, why not fucking vote for them? It. it realistically, why are non wrestlers even in the Hall of Fame? Why you know it's it's such an odd place for them to exist. 
It is. It it, it is. It is. So odd. I'm just like, fuck it, vote for him. I mean, <laughs> again. Yeah, like at that point, like just just grandfather the non wrestlers in. I think because yeah. based off the criteria of the Hall of Fame that's like set out, like I I, I was I think that like the cat the categories and like everything about them are laid out in a very broad way to a point as to where like it's up to your own interpretation. So like if a category doesn't apply to somebody, you just like say whatever and chalk it up and. And, and see how they work out in different categories like ted turner like obviously isn't gonna have a work rate work rate right. <laughs> um, uh uh case so you just like check out the other two like he has no draw and, like, case unless you like how do you argue for yeah, a ted like, turner draw <laughs> case unless you give him credit for all of the draw for any wrestling company that he owned so then you're like okay so um, i mean uh, yeah i'm uh, I'm just yeah. saying, like, hypothetically, right? Because, obviously, like, if we know Ted Turner, Ted Turner just, like, said, oh, we're going to have wrestling? Cool, fuck it. And then didn't think about it anymore as to where, like, Vince thought that Ted Turner had, had a vendetta against him. Right. So, like... Well, I mean, I... So, I am a bit of a Ted Turner, like, uh, like believer. I'm a bit of a Ted Turner stan when it comes to pro wrestling. Um, because I do buy into the, the argument that Ted Turner said, like... I built the Superstation on wrestling. We'll always have wrestling on the Superstation. But I do know that beyond that, it is true that it's basically what you said. That he doesn't, like, put too much thought into it. But I do know that he was at least, like, invested enough in pro wrestling that he would never have not had wrestling on on TBS TNT. So he was at least that invested in wrestling. So, yeah, like... Okay, Ted Turner's draw case. Uh, every person who ever went to a WCW show, that's that Ted Turner drew every single one of them. Um, okay, and then you go like historical impact. <laughs> okay, wrestling on TV, basically wrestling in in on uh, syndication, not syndication, but wrestling like on um, national TV rather than just local TVs. Ted Turner, like was a big part of that. I don't know if he invented it, but he at least was so solidly invested in, into it that he made sure that it existed forever. So basically you could argue pro wrestling being on national television, part of Ted Turner's case for historical significance feels like a big deal. So as you said, no, there's no wrestling like uh, argument for him. So it sounds like the guy should be in the hall of fame because he drew every person that ever went to a WCW show Yes, <laughs> and uh, and he made wrestling be on TV, so that's that's pretty fucking significant. Should be in the Hall of Fame. No, I, no, you know, no, yeah, like I, the non wrestler thing is weird. I think yeah. that they should just get grandfathered. Yeah, just in. <laughs> Dave should just let like one of his friends write a argument for why this person should be in the Hall of Fame, and then post the article, and then just say that they're in the Hall of Fame, and then that's it. It's done. <laughs> All right, I don't got any. I don't got any more for you when it comes to the when it comes to the Hall of Fame, unless you got uh some really some really strong original Hollywood blondes. Thoughts. I mean, I think that they should be uh, in, but you know, I think that they should. Be, I think that they yeah, should be that's, in. That's it. I think I think the Brainbusters should be in, but I think it's weird that they're like on the ballot as a tag team, um, and that they're in the historical category. Or no, they're so in the is, modern so category. Arn, so is. So is Arn just not in by himself? No, I don't think he is. That's fucking nuts. Like I wouldn't vote for Tully if Tully wasn't by himself. I, I would say right. But the fact that Arn by himself isn't in—that's fucking crazy. Yeah. So, 
So yeah, I would say Hollywood Blondes for sure. Brainbusters, I think, should be in, but I think they're in the in a weird place on in the ballot and like odd that they're going in as a tag team. Like yeah, whatever. Um, but basically, my biggest thing, if anyone listening to this has a ballot in in the Observer Hall of Fame, my biggest picadillo, the thing that I'll always point out is uh, just vote for all the non wrestlers. That's all that matters to me. Yes. <laughs> All right, I don't got any more here. I think that we're uh, we're good. We're good to go. Uh, got Tim real fired up over the Wrestling Observer <laughs> Hall of Fame and uh, Akira no Tale, but no joke. Before we recorded, I told my wife uh, I don't care about the Observer Hall of Fame, so this is gonna go really quick. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I don't have anything to say. Quentin can just talk and say whatever points he has because i don't i'm i'm over it i think it's stupid and then you saw the way that i got here so i can't help it guys <laughs> we'll work on uh, getting both of us balanced yeah. uh but thank you all for listening and hope you're here next time